Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to The Call, 10 stocks picked by you two experts, one hour. It is Thursday, the 25th of August. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on the show today, Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor and Luke Winchester from Merriweather Capital. Guys, welcome to both of you. I was just saying a little earlier, so many uh, company reports coming to us. It's a bit hard to know where to look, isn't it? But um, Gaurav, uh, what's your, we're more than halfway through Mm. reporting season. What's your overall view of how we've gone? I've heard people say that this has been a cracking reporting season. I don't think that's the case, but neither has it been dire either. I think it's been um, <clears throat> it's been characterised by lots of, of uh, uh, inflationary concerns. Everyone's talking about costs. Um, there's probably going to be a moment where um, cost tries to get passed through in, in higher prices. So um, that doesn't bode well for inflation so far, in my view. Um, but look, I, I don't think it's been that great. There's been bombs going off every day. Um, we've largely avoided them so far, yeah. but um, we're, not, we're not over it yet. So um, I'm still nervous until the whole period is over. But I would say I'm probably not as enthused as consensus about these results. I think um, I, I, I don't think the market's enthusiasm is probably for my stocks anyway, it is reflected in um, in, in the results here. Yeah, interesting. And of course, Luke, um, yeah. earnings, one thing, you can't escape what's going on at the end of the week with Jackson Hole too. That seems to be looming mm. large over everything at this point. Yeah, yeah, you've got that. Um, obviously, everything's still going on geopolitically. There's a, as Gaurav says, a lot of gremlins, a lot of things to um, try and look out for. And I think that's the, the key, is, is the results we're getting now are historical and they've mm. been okay. I agree with Gaurav. They're, they're probably been better than what was feared, particularly the, the share price movements in the first half of the year. Um, but the consistent theme is very few companies wanting to release any sort of guidance, mm. most deferring it to AGMs, you know, we'll get a better feeling around October, November. Mm. Um, and I think that's why, Andrew, you've got um, all this uncertainty around the macroeconomic stuff. Um, we haven't really seen the impacts of higher inflation or interest rates come through to mm. consumers yet. Um, but there's still a lot of things people have to manage. I mean, we'll talk about a few today that, that certainly have challenges facing them. And mm. so far, I, you know, I, I give the management credits, management teams a lot of credit. They've managed them well. But it looks like they're only about to get worse before they get better. So we'll see how we go. Two yeah. additional observations, um, if I might. Yep. Um, one is that balance sheets generally seem to be better. Um, there's a, f- a few companies carrying too much debt, but I, w- I would agree with Luke there that mm. the that management has done reasonably well of capitalising businesses sensibly, and there are not too many debt bombs, uh, I think, waiting to go off. I mean, particularly in those financials, they look really, really strong. Mm. Um, and the other thing that's really surprised me is the strength of the consumer. Mm. I- I've been quite blown away by how much spending is going on. It's really making me look at my own situation and think I'm not spending enough. Well, to this point, <laughs> yeah, let's wait. Maybe another couple of maybe, months. To maybe see where we'll those wait, rates wait are. and see. But yeah. but but unemployment is super low. Yep. Um, excess savings super high, and people are deploying that cash. They're they're buying stuff, and that's surprised me given where 
where we are um, elsewhere in the economy. Yeah, jobs are important, isn't it? Obviously, if you feel as though you're safe in your job, or at least you have another job which could potentially pay more, mm. then you're probably more inclined to spend at this point. Uh, all right, well, let's, uh, we're going to pick apart some of those earnings results as we get into the stocks today. Uh, the first half of the show, we're going to take a look at Adisil, <coughs> uh, Good Drinks Australia, Dubba, the Lottery Corporation, and Rectifier Technologies. Now, for our stock of the day, we thought we'd actually take a look at the uh, travel sector, given we've had Qantas, Flight Centre, and Air New Zealand dropping their results so far this morning. Qantas seeing deeper losses this financial year. Goodness, looking at some of these results, uh, it has uh, underlying loss before tax of $1.9 billion, uh, statutory loss of $1.2, and uh, the company's saying that brings its total losses since the beginning of the pandemic to $7 billion. Uh, lost revenue there, $25 billion. Has announced $400 million buyback of shares. Uh, elsewhere, Flight Centre, of course, which is... Uh, does depend on Qantas to an extent at the same time. Uh, a big lift in revenue, not enough to prevent it from reporting a massive underlying loss there, coming in 360 million, slight reduction from the 507 of a year earlier. And Air New Zealand also posting a loss down 63% to 725 million. So, Gaurav, mm. um, you know, we've heard from Alan Joyce too today from Qantas. Of course, they are having problems, particularly with staff shortages. And the revelation there, they've sacked 10,000 workers. Mm. No wonder they're having problems with mm. baggage. Mm. Yeah, look, um, from a pure investor's point of view, the I think there was a $400 million buyback mm. um, announced. I think that borders on recklessness, um, really. Um, I think Qantas risks really damaging its reputation, um, which has been fought for for decades, um, and also its ability to, to staff its entire operation at the expense of pleasing investors. And I think that's been Joyce's, um, that's been his defining characteristic, is he's really hard-nosed and he's really focused on the investment returns for that airline. And I think that needs to be balanced or even um, that needs to be uh, considered alongside um, customers and staff as well. I, I mean, it, it seems to me that maybe the balance is, is a bit off there. Um, I was really surprised to see the buyback, um, especially we all know what's going on in their operations. We all know what's happening at their staff levels. I would have thought a bit more capital would be directed towards those areas. And I, and I think if you're a long-term shareholder, you probably don't mind that happening. Um, and, and I do wonder whether the balance of, of returns is correct there. I will say that there's an instinct for lots of investors to write off Qantas, saying it's an airline and Buffett says don't buy airlines. I, I'd say go and have a look at the um, accounts over the last few years for, for Qantas. There is a decent business in there. Um, the international segment is not, is not hot, but you've got a duopoly in domestic airlines, which makes fantastic returns. You've got one of the best businesses in Australia in that, um, in that points business, which is a, a literally a license to print money and uh, there's lots of room for growth. It's, it's a company that I'm interested in, but, um, but I'm holding off for now. Look, I even reckon it's probably, I'd probably just sell it at this point. Mm. Um, it's not really where I'd want to be. Um, it, there's nothing wrong with the company. I, I just think there are other more interesting ideas. And um, I, I, I'd want to just step back and see how there's a lot going on. I, mean, I just don't like to in, invest when there, there is so much um, to and fro happening. I just want like to 
take a, a moment to to get some clarity on on the company. So for so, me, it's it's a sell, step back, take a fresh look. Once you mm. get more normalist ideas, you've had a, a couple of years where they've made no money. Now you've had a couple of year or uh, half a year of super normal um, revenue. Yep. Like you got to normalize these things, and I just don't know where that sits at the moment. Uh, same apply to New Zealand. Same applies to Air New Zealand. Yep. Flight Centre is a has always been a crack management team. Mm. Um, you're really backing a wonderful founder there mm. with a great track record. Right size costs, I would say the same as well. Just with it's all over the place, and you really want to just normalise these margins, normalise these earnings, get a good understanding of what you can get to. And in this environment, maybe there's an opportunity because no one knows what that is. Yep. But um, I can see much simpler bets to take than than taking this one. All right. So you'd be holding Flight Centre. I'd, on the strength of management, I'd hold Flight Centre. Yep. I'd, I'd sell the others. Okay. We have been buying Auckland International Airport, mm. and it's become a top five position in our funds now. Okay, Luke. Yeah, interesting with Flight Centre because Graham Turner saying he doesn't regard it as a discretionary business at this point because mm. people want to fly and they need to get out at this point. Yeah, I generally agree with that. I think after two years stuck, you know, either in your state or in your country, um, I think you've seen that in the numbers. Um, or in I, your street if you're in some places. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, everyone I know has been to Europe as quick as they could, so mm. here for me. Um, I agree with that, that the sell, sell, hold. I, I think Qantas and Air New Zealand... Um, um, yeah, Air New Zealand, so you're getting me confused with Auckland Airport. Um, <laughs> agree with all that. They're, they're so complex. You've got, obviously, not just the COVID recovery, but higher oil prices, volatile yeah, currencies, labour shortages, yeah. so many factors that are just going around. Um, I, I'm so glad Gaurav picked up on the, the buyback because I completely agree. Mm. Um, if you look at the result today, they try to highlight the strength of the balance sheet with net mm. debt being lower than what it's been over the last uh, few years. That was completely because of a build-up in working capital where we've had a, a rush to return to fly. So they obviously, we pay Qantas in advance before we fly. They get all this cash sitting on the balance sheet, but of course we fly. And mm. then they recognise mm. all, the, all the costs for that. So mm. as that as that working capital normalises, you know, a $400 million buyback, all of a sudden your balance sheet normalises and, and starts to look a little bit stretched. So comment I jotted down was, if things don't go smoothly over the next couple of years, an equity raise wouldn't surprise me. And all mm. of a sudden Alan Joyce does sort of sit there with egg on his face for, well, it depends how much they buy back. It could be more symbolic than anything. Mm. And New Zealand, I agree, but even worse, given New Zealand are behind us in the yeah. COVID recovery and their capital structure with the government owning 49% of the business is actually pretty messy. Um, they're working their way through it. Um, Flight Centre, I agree with that. I think it's, it's messy as well, but you, you back the management team. They're doing a really good job. Um, one thing to note there, though, is, and they call this out, they're honest about it, is when they report their total transaction value, you know, re- responding back to pre-COVID levels, a lot of that's being driven by the higher prices of flights and packages because of the lack of supply. So that probably normalises. So they're probably a bit further back on that recovery path than what the, the headline number suggests. But... You know, I'd hold that just on the on the quality of management, but it's, yeah. it's valuation stretch. It, it I does, know we say it every time, expensive. but the share yeah, prices, yeah. because of that dilution, the share yeah. prices don't reflect it. Mm. It's it's sitting up at a at a pre COVID valuation. Yeah. So that that, that recovery is already priced in. All right, they were our stocks of the day. Uh, let's get into the stocks as picked by you. And uh, we're going to stick with the uh, the flying theme, uh, really, because our first stock mm. is Adisol. It uh, it's picked by uh, Caleb. It develops and implements air traffic management systems. Uh, it operates uh, globally. Luke, not one I'm 
overly familiar with, I've got to say. Yeah, it's a little micro cap. Been, been listed for quite a while, so it's one I'm familiar with. Um, my, my main takeaway from something like an Adacel is um, I don't think this is a high growth company. And so for me, when I play micro caps, I sort of need that that growth trajectory. Um, but you're paying a pretty fair multiple, about 15 times earnings, and a pretty sustainable 7% yield. So, you know, for certain investors, if you're willing to take on a bit more risk because of the size of the business, I think you get a pretty fair price and a good yield out of it. Um, in a really nice niche, in that air traffic um, control, that is software and training. Um, COVID's disrupted them, just like when I'm talking about the others before, that's sort of be, to be expected. Seems like they're coming out the other side of it. Um, they do have some lumpiness because they, um, you know, will win a contract to implement um, modules and like training VR systems and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you see some lumpiness sometimes in revenues, but even, you know, they, they were out yesterday with their results and the guidance was for flat on this year. To me, that's that's out of sell now. I think you've got a pretty steady business. If you're happy with a 7% yield and taking on a bit of extra risk because of the size of the business to get that, um, I think you can certainly hold it. It's not one I'd be rushing into buy um, anytime soon though. So hold for me. Okay, go right. It's a good example of a stock where the you know, the, the rules of investing um, are broken often, and the guys who stick religiously to the rules, I think, would get confused by Adasol. Adasol has actually an enormous moat around that business. For, for people who like moti businesses, this is really good. So they've got um, in-depth forensic IP mm. on the airports that they know well. And when I say in-depth and forensic, I mean down to where the, the, the lines are on the runway, what colour those lines are. They have the, the most detailed knowledge of the airports that they cover, um, and no one else could hope to replicate the depth of that um, IP. And I used to own this stock, and I, I thought that with that kind of moat that they would be able to monetize much better than they actually have over time. Um, and they haven't because, um, as, as Luke kind of alludes to, growth is really hard to come by. So the stuff they have, and they dominate in the old French Pacific colonies. Yeah. Um, they have, which is uh, you know like New Caledonia mm. and uh, around that area. That's where they're really big. They have a near monopoly in that area. Those contracts get renewed all the time. Anyone who gets trained gets trained on Adasol software, um, air traffic control, all Adasol software. But then to go out and grow um, is really hard. Um, it, it's partly because they. They don't have the IP in, in the other areas, but it's also because, um, uh, look, in, in the past, management probably hasn't been all that great. I haven't looked at it in a while, so I'm not sure about the quality of management now, but I don't think that this is going to be a, a high growth business. Those, the business that it has are completely solid, reliable, um, um, and I don't think that's going away any, anywhere, but um, I, I think 15 times is probably a bit generous actually. I think this is a stock that probably deserves a lowish multiple. Um, it should pay out a lot of its cash flow as, as dividends. And it should be a, a nice cash business um, unless unless management do something silly. So look, I, I think you can hold this. Um, I'm inclined to think at, at this price, it may be a little dear, but as I say, there's, there's some, there's some COVID impacts that are yet to wash through, so it's probably forgivable um, at this price. Yep. I'd, I'd say hold, but, okay. but this is not a high-growth software business, no. and you shouldn't expect it to yeah. and be I think because way. Because sometimes you have micro-caps, people think they're growth just because mm. of the size of the business. Yep. Naturally, you know, uh, $89 million market cap business 
should be growing, but it's not, and that's you know that's okay. Yeah. Like, as you said, as long as as long as management are rational and allocate capital well, and part of that's paying out a, a nice healthy divvy. Yeah, that's good to see. Yeah. yeah. Okay, can I say, not gaining altitude, it's going to be cruising <laughs> oh. at these levels. Oh. Oh, I had to say it. All right, let's get into some drinks, good drinks. Australia, Dan, wanting to know about this <coughs> um, and its latest acquisition, uh, binding sh- uh, term sheet there to acquire Victorian-based brewery, stomping ground to accelerate its growth opportunities in Victoria, as other brands among them, Gage Roads. Um, Gorev? Yeah, it's, it's the old Gage Rose Brewing, which started yeah. life as a contract brewer and now then became a collection of, of brands, which, which turns into a much better quality business. But, geez, beer is a tough, tough industry. Uh, returns on capital here from memory are still woefully low. Um, and they're underpenetrated in the, in the East Coast, which is also a really competitive environment as well. So they've got a lot of catch-up to do, a lot of um, capex to spend. I don't think there's anything wrong with this business. I think they strategically they're, they're doing the right things. The financial returns aren't awful. But I would say when I'm making an investment or when I'm holding a portfolio, I'm not just buying businesses because they look okay. I want a well thought out um, and and uh, and an executing thesis on every single stock I own. You know, there has to be a mispricing, something misunderstood, an opportunity that someone else doesn't see. I just don't see what that opportunity here is is with this stock. Um, and it's, it, you know, I don't know the business very well. There might well might be something there, but for me, I just don't see any reason um, to be there. We haven't, um, well, we don't own it. We don't look at it. Um, it's just an avoid for me. Maybe Luke um, knows a bit more about it than I do, but yep. if, uh, I, I can't see a reason to buy this. It did remind me, though, given it, it obviously started out in WA, yep. back to Alan Bond's days of uh, Swan oh, Brewing, so it was I didn't a big drag on, on his business, but he held on to it mm. uh, just because it was iconic. Um, Luke? What do you see? Um, you'd be like Gorav, like Adesel. It's been around for a long time. Um, I obviously know it, and, mm. and sort of you flick open the report, but I've never dug into it too deeply. Um, mostly because of what he said. It's such a tight, mar- tight market beer. Like it's highly competitive. Returns on capital always just revert to the mean because of that. Um, look, I, I think it's well run. They, they had a few issues a, a few years ago when they were trying to transition away. Woolies was their main customer <coughs> on the contract, right. and mm. Woolies sort of you know threw them to the curb, and which they were always going to do. They're always going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's about how you sort of manage that. They've done okay looking at it today, um, yeah. you know, bouncing back well. So uh, Dan's question was about their latest acquisition. It only got announced a, a few days ago. They're buying Stomping Grounds Brewery. Now, the beer's good, I you know, can, can <laughs> confirm that. Um, I'm not, you know, obviously I'm in Newcastle, I'm not down in Melbourne, but they have some large brew pubs down in Melbourne by the looks of it, it you know, quite popular. And, and that sounds like an analyst trip wedding to happen. <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe we, we buy some good drinks just for, just right. for the trips. Um, and so it's, a, it's an extension of that on-premise strategy they're trying to do, um, which I think makes a lot of sense. And again, so they're doing all the right things. Mm. Um, for, for Dan, who asked the question, I I really want to see the report coming up before I could really say anything further. They gave some financial results uh, a couple of weeks ago, but it was just headline numbers and it was just EBITDA. I, I really need to see what's happening below that EBITDA line. And then even with that acquisition... Um, the one red flag I saw was they didn't really dig into the financials of what they were acquiring. Mm. Now... 
I think it's more of a strategic acquisition, so I get that. But nonetheless, I, I, I would like to know, you know, what's this going to do to the financials? There, there was one throwaway, one throwaway line of it will contribute 1.5 mil earnings, which I, I assume is EBITDA. Um, looks like they've structured the earnouts well to, to incentivize further growth. Um, but I, I just, I'd love to see the full financials to get a better feel for what's happening here, what the balance sheet looks like. Go back to Gorab's point at the start. Most businesses have, have really got their balance sheets in good positions. Mm-hmm. These guys are are now levering theirs up and so you know it's a business that can handle it we know you know beer is not the most cyclical industry in the world it has become a lot more fatty in recent years well that's that? yeah i was going to make that point yeah. it's like you're going to acquire a craft brewer and and one of the whole uh things about craft brewing is you can't really scale it because no. then it's not craft that's yeah. right so and beer is a scale business yeah yeah that's right and, and so again my final point was i actually think these guys are positioned themselves to be bought by a lion yep. you know a see you that's surely like the that. end game yeah yep. you've got you've got the scale you've got the production and, yep. and you got the brand so look i I think put on your leave it on your list, Dan. I think it's interesting, um, but I need to see the final, the the full year results, which you know probably come out next week. So you'd be holding it. I'd, I'd hold it if you're there. Yeah, yeah, there's nothing, nothing in any of the announcements. With the prospect of that's been bought out. Yeah, there yeah. was nothing in the last announcements to me that goes huge red flag. I need to be exiting mm. this business. But if I'm on the sidelines. Like a few of these who haven't reported yet, it's yep. always dangerous to jump in before a report. So just wait for that, see what's in there, and um, yeah, make a call afterwards. Okay, all right, that's Good Drinks Australia. Let's move on to Dubber. Tim wanting about this uh, and whether this one is worth being patient for over the longer term. Well, you probably need to be, because taking a look at the share price, particularly over the last 12 months, it's going in the wrong direction, as you can see there. Um, has uh, just in terms of its results, uh, annualised recurring revenue up 51%, total revenue up 75%, subscribers up 38%. However, Luke, what do you see? Well, I mean, investing is, is, a, is a match of, of numbers and narrative, right? And, and this business, the narrative has always been fantastic. And so you look at the chart, 2021 was a narrative year. And so it's, it's cloud call recording. When you have those calls recorded up in the cloud, much easier to access. So you can overlay AI, generate some insights and some actions. The narrative's fantastic. The numbers have just never, ever matched the narrative of this business. The narrative is it is a highly scalable software business. Mm-hmm. Even in the last uh, report, cash receipts continue to be below the product and operating cost line of the cash report. Mm -hmm. Um, The business um, reports 70% gross margins. Now, I don't know what goes into that calculation, but to me, when I look at your your 4C cash report and your cash receipts are below your product and operating costs, it says that you're a subscale business. And when you're 60 mil ARR, when does the scale, like what do you need to get to? You know, uh, uh, 200 mil ARR, 500, a billion, I, I don't know. And so for me, like, if you like the narrative, sit on the sidelines and watch it. If you start to see scale, particularly over that product operating cost line, then then maybe you could start to dip a toe in. Until then, like, I, I think it's a sell. Um, and, and you just, you wait to see the numbers even get close to where the narrative is for this business. Um, I'm glad Luke brought up narrative because I think that's really important in this business. It's a company I used to own, actually. Um, what, about two years ago now? And um, I bought it not just for the narrative, but there is a, there's a genuine advantage here. Um, Luke sort of described what the business does. It's call recording software, but traditionally call recording software, you've had to house it and activate it on premise. And what these guys have done that's different, um, and which is why I bought the stock, is that they've gone around to all almost every single telco around the world. They have agreements with 
it must be almost 100 telcos by now. Every major telco in the world, has, they've signed up with them. And what they do is they go into their data centers, into their equipment, and they install their, um, their black magic um, mm. inside, inside there. And so if you want to activate Dubber's software, you no longer have to activate it on your premise. You call your telco, and they can do it um, over the air. And that's really powerful. That gives Dubber the unique ability to harness hundreds of millions of users. Um, and there's not too many businesses in Australia that can have a potential user base as large as that. Um, they've also made agreements with, um, with Cisco WebEx, um, with Microsoft Teams. Um, WebEx actually gives away their software for free and they, they collect about five bucks um, a seat for, for that as well every time someone uses it. Um, so there's, there's an inbuilt, the distribution channel there is superb and it suggests that they can get a whole lot of customers and grow really quickly. Where it falls down is the um, is the unit economics. Is that, that the margin? Um, I know the gross margin does appear high, but it, it looks as though that gross margin does not include network costs and mm-hmm. and the cost of actually being inside those data centers, having those network hardware connections, they actually increase um, the more customers they get access to. Mm. So I think there is a scaling problem in this business. I hate ARR. You know, when ARR first came around, annual reco- mm. annualized recurring revenue, everyone thought that was a very sensible thing, but there's no standard definition of it. So every company has its own definition. And what really annoys me about Dubber is that um, the ARR never matches up to the, the actual revenue. Um, it, it seems, I would love to know how they calculate this thing because it, it, there's never a complement to, to actual revenue. Cash flow has never, never met um, um, the ARR or come anywhere close to it. It's always lagging, which makes me very suspicious of the accounting treatment. And I sold at a loss um, for that reason alone. Um, until you see that cash flow starting to come through, I would stay away from this stock. There are a lot of businesses with with uh, terrific single points, but unless all those single points accumulate into more free cash flow, it's meaningless. And that's what we're waiting for here. So yeah. this is a sell for me. Okay. But I'd also keep it on your list, and if you see cash flow coming through, as I said, there's a nice moat here, it's and such they, a, they could scale. Yeah, ARR point's so good, and I think mm. like people sometimes lose the, the perspective that it's not an audited metric. That's right. Um, and so it's completely a discretion of management how they want to calculate it. Um, the the genuine ones will just do the last, usually the last month of the year times 12. I think that's the most accurate measure you could get. You get some do contracted ARR, which is ARR they expect to come on. And yeah. I think the one that's starting to creep in, which I don't like at all, is total contract value, mm-hmm. which is measure the, the total value of a contract. And divide it by... A- and d- and div- well, that's annualized. That's annualized right. Some just go total, and and you know you don't know how many years that could be impl- implemented over or stretched over, and mm. or, so yeah, yeah, always always check the numbers. Uh, I've, right. I've seen TCV divide by years, and there's your ARR. Uh, um, sounds like they use a, <laughs> they use a black box for their accounting practices yeah. at the same time. All right, moving on to the Lottery Corporation. Harry wanted to know about this. Um, now, of course, this was uh, spun out. Uh, of Tabcorp, but it's operating as far as the lotteries and the Kino business, which is obviously more lucrative as a lot of people see it. Um, So, Gaurav, in fact, uh, just taking a look at uh, its results, uh, revenue up 11%, um, EBITDA 17% higher, NPAT 15% thereabouts. How are you looking at Lottery Corporation? Yeah, this is what I'm really proud of, actually. Um, so this is one that Intelligent Investor recommended and bought for our funds, one of the first things we bought in that COVID downturn. Mm. We've been watching Tabcorp for a long time. 
um, not because it's wonderful, but specifically because it was lousy. Um, we, we management, uh, I've said this before, one of the worst management teams in, in any big stock um, has been active in Tabcorp up until recently. And uh, that crappy management was, was combined with a wonderful business and a poor business. And all those three things combined meant that wonderful business was completely obscured. And there were just a few agitators on the edges who, were, who wanted to split the business up. Management said no. Um, that's when we bought the stock, hoping to uh, contribute or, or, or to, to lend mm. support to the agitators. We didn't need to. Um, and, and ultimately, the split happened and created an, an enormous amount of value. So we now own both stocks, um, the old Tabcorp and TLC as well, um, the Lotteries Corporation. Clearly, everyone knows it. The Lotteries Corporation is the better business, mm. um, but I still think it is under underpriced. I don't think it's it's a, um, it's appropriately valued. I, I still think there's a, a decent amount of um, uh, growth here. I think that's what that's the thing that a lot of investors might miss. They they see this as a infrastructure business, which is almost a cliche now, um, and that implies very low slow growth. But in fact, I reckon you could see high single digit revenue growth here, as um, they the digitization of lotteries um, falls and uh, falls into the um, TLC top line, mm-hmm. and that would mean really good bottom line growth. Um, it's only at that sort of 25, 26 PEs. I, I think it should be over 30. I, I think this is this remains one of the best businesses on the ASX. Um, it's still a buy for me. Okay. All right, Luke. <clears throat> um, I agree with that. Um, and especially if you look around globally, um, you know, there's a lot of listed lottery providers and they generally all trade, you know, in that high 20 to 30s. And, and this is better than all of them, I reckon. Yeah, well, it's earlier on in the path mm. towards that digitization, which is, it's massive. Like the margins I earn selling a digital ticket compared to going through a news agents physically. Um, you, <clears throat> you keep all the commission for one. Mm. That's the balance their news agent network. Just be careful of that. I don't think the digitization happens, you know, really quickly because they've got to carefully, the PR of, Yep. You know, you've got a news agent network that I couldn't tell you off the top of my head what percentage of you know lotto ticket sales drives foot traffic to news agents. But it, it helps pretty, that new, it helps that news agents are all dying very slowly. It would be pretty high, I think, mm. of the foot traffic going through just for lotteries alone. Um, the other one as well, jackpots really drive the business. Mm, so, yes. you know, I, I don't play the lottery, but when you do see the ads for a $100 billion Powerball, even, even I sort of sit there <laughs> and go, you know, is it worth just, just getting one one or two tickets? Mm. Um, and you see that in the numbers, huge, huge ticket um, purchases whenever they have large jackpots. So. Mm. My notes here, I think it's a buy as well. The two things to track is that is that um, penetration of the, the digital sales, which should keep tracking well. Um, and the second is jackpots. If you if you start to notice a low period of jackpots, the market will probably, it'll probably be in the price. Yeah, they will onto that. But, mm. you know, just be aware that there could be a weaker result if they don't get a nice trend of, of jackpots. Um, the other note I've made as well is like, this business could buy Jumbo Interactive at some point, mm. I think. Um, and it's probably more politically, I want to say politically, like from that PR point of view, about the news agents, um, that could really boost that digital penetration if you just picked up a, a jumbo. All right, that is double buy then on the Lottery Corporation. Our fifth stock is Rectifier Technologies. It is developing and manufacturing uh, high efficiency power conversion products. Now, Jimmy wanted to know about this, and Luke specifically asking you, saying that you spoke favourably of the company. Uh, it's in the right space, the right industry uh, as we uh, transition to a greener planet. However, saying after their announcement of the Tritium deal uh, back in February this year, the share price has languished. He says he's down 25%. 
I don't think he's blaming you. <laughs> uh, and there have been uh, uh, much, haven't been many updates from the company. In fact, he goes on saying he's really frustrated because he tries to call their investor relations line, doesn't get answers there. He's uh, he keeps uh, having a crack sales team, whatever. He's just not getting any answers. Can you help him? Uh, well, yes and no. Um, on the on the second point, the, the note I'll drop down is welcome to, to rectify technology. That's, <laughs> that's the approach to IR. That, that puts a lot of people off, and I think right, mm. rightly so. Um, I've always been able to look past it because the, the fundamental execution has been has been solid for, for many years. Um, I own it with Merriweather Capital, so I will sorry I will disclose that. So um, Jimmy, I've you know in, in the same boat with you. Um, I've owned it for, for many many years actually. Um, so these guys they they play in the periphery of the electric vehicle. Space. Space. Um, they supply uh, rectifiers, which is a module that goes into the um, the, the chargers for, for EVs, and particularly the high-powered charging, which is becoming more and more prevalent. You know, people want to be able to charge their car in 15, mm. 20 minutes, not have it sit overnight. So, the the Tritium deal that Jimmy's referring to. So, Tritium um, is a Brisbane-based company that was um, backdoor listed onto the Nasdaq through through one of the special acquisition, you know, the SPACs when that was. The, the, the hot topic back in 2021. Um, and it is, you know, Tritium is a fantastic business. It, it's a bit of a shame it didn't actually list on the ASX. It would have been nice to have an Aussie success story list here. Um, you know, it, it's a world leader in the electric vehicle charging space and, and Rectify is really riding their coattails. So, look, Jimmy, I agree with everything you've said on the IR side. And, and yes, we haven't had much news since that contract, but just a bit of context to that. Um, the contract was in February this year for 20 million US dollars um, with Tritium. At the current exchange rate, that's about $29 million to RFT, and, and last year they did 13 mil revenue. It is a material, material contract. What's the market cap with? Uh, about 70-odd mil. Mm, okay. Yeah. So the question marks over margins then, you know, are they able to maintain their historical, they do about 45, 50% gross margins. Do they maintain that, or was there some sort of margin, you know, um, degradation there on a, on a contract that size? Um, hold this into the results, Jimmy. They'll be out next week. Um, you know, we should start to see the financials start to flow through from that and, and um, have, have a better feel for, for what's going on. But, um, yeah, that, I think it's sort of been – the, the price spiked back when that, that contract was announced, and obviously it's been a bit quiet since, but um, it was it was a, a very, very material contract for the business. And, again, we just talk about Lowry Corp and Jumbo. This is one where it wouldn't surprise me if Tritium buys these guys at, at some point. All right. All right. Yeah, look, I'm not going to pretend I know this business <laughs> anywhere as, as well as Luke does. Um, I'm happy to, to, to ride his coattails on this. I will say that um, this EV trend, um, you know, I, I know it's, it's, well, um, it's well understood by investors. Um, I had some friends going to Europe recently and, and they came back and reported that EVs are just everywhere. Mm. I personally... Well, Scandinavia. Um, well, yeah. Well, it, it helps when you subsidise it as much <laughs> yeah. as they do. Yes, that's true. But but even um, you know even in the UK where the, the subsidies aren't great, but they do have big um, big big petrol um, and insurance um, costs for for uh, um, you know big revving vehicles. Um, so it helps there. Um, I, I personally don't like EVs. I, I, I want noise and, and me- mechanics. <laughs> yeah, but you and get the speaker you in the back seat. Do you do that? I, I don't like it. I, I actually just did the exhaust on my, my car yesterday um, and when, and it makes a, a frightfully loud noise, which is what I want. So I, I see the march of EVs as, as, as a little bit of personal sadness, but it is inevitable. Yep. I think it's going to be quicker than anyone anticipates. 
Um, and so there is an opportunity here, but, but I would be looking at the second level stuff. I think stuff like this is interesting. I, I think things like lithium and you know, all the obvious places people are looking, I wonder if that's actually a red herring. Um, you know, the, the, the cut... Uh, you, so you're looking further up the production chain? Well, I, I just think you want to be aware that the trend is, is coming and you don't want to go for the most obvious thing. The, value, looking, value accrues the intellectual property, right? Like lithium is just a commodity. You dig it up and you, yep. well, you've got to process it. And you stuff, there's value it. there. Yeah, yeah. Um, but like I said, these guys do 45, 50% gross margins. You know, it indicates there's some IP there behind this product. Yeah. Um, whether they will be, you know, a, a, a real big value add to the whole chain, we'll wait and see because it's so early days. But I actually agree with that point. You know, it's sort of that second order thinking That's of right. not just EVs, lithium, but yeah. where can the value accrue in that chain? Yeah, it's a good yeah. point. All right. So aside and from not actually liking the product, no. who did you buy in the stock? I was, uh, where I was going to go with all that was it's, that uh, this is the sort of thing I would put on my list like I, I that's a it, this is a result I'm gonna go through these are the sort of little niches little areas that um, may, are difficult to unravel they're not as obvious as lithium yeah but they can potentially be much more interesting so definitely on the watch list and um, I'll be listening to what Luke has to say about all it, right so sorry Luke was that a, a hold from you then is it <laughs> Into the results, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. And like I said before, I think that'll be a common theme for most of these businesses that haven't reported. Um, you've got the luxury now of waiting one week, see what the result is. And yep. Yeah. All right. Okay, let's summarise where we've been for the first half of the show. We began with our stocks uh, in the travel sector. Uh, Qantas Air New Zealand Flight Centre. Uh, Gaurav saying, look, you'd have a sell on uh, the airlines there, Qantas and Air New Zealand, a hold on Flight Centre. Luke, the same. Uh, and uh, so that's uh, those three stocks. All right, into the ones the as picked by you, Adisal, uh, a hold from both, and Good Drinks Australia, and avoid from Gorav, a hold from Luke Dubber. A sell from Luke and a sell also from Gorav. Uh, the Lottery Corporation, which was uh, spun out of Tabcorp, that is a buy from both. In fact, it's already in the portfolio. And Rectify Technologies, a hold there from Luke and Gorav is watching it. All right. And in fact, uh, we are tracking our own high conviction fund here at the core, which is picked by our investment committee. The latest episode uh, is live here to watch at ausbiz.com. Let's check in. See how it's going. Uh, in heading into uh, August, their ordinate was removed. Oz Minerals was added fortuitously. Uh, we also upped our Woodside holding size. So in terms of performance, it is up close to 3.2% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. All right, into the second half of the show, we'll be taking a look at EBOS, Service Stream, Globe International, Frontier Digital Ventures, and Eluca Resources. So let's kick it off with EBOS. Liz wanting to know about this. It is the wholesaler and distributor of healthcare, medical, pharmaceutical products. And uh, revenue there up over 16%. Net profit also rising. Uh, it's also in the animal care uh, segment as well, Gaurav. Mm. Yeah, look, um, 
this was one of the biggest stocks I'd never heard of until right. earlier this year when an analyst um, started covering it. And when he proposed coverage, he said, look, I've got this idea. It's a distributor. You know, it, it, it just kind of move, moves product around. And mm. one of its biggest customers is Chemist Warehouse. And there were groans coming from the rest of us thinking, Are you, we're not going to do this, surely. But look, as we went through the business, this is a surprisingly high quality business. Yeah. I was genuinely surprised by um, the strength of management, um, the, the returns on capital, and just how good this company is. Um, and I didn't realize how much they dominate the space um, either. We uh, had a buy at the time on API, which um, which is a competitor to this, has subsequently been taken over. But that is nowhere near as, as good a business, despite having very good management, as good as EBOS is. Um, this is an outstanding company, actually. And, and this is sitting on the bench for us, waiting for a better price. I think the market is well aware of its quality. This march into, um, they just took made a big acquisition, which was... I would say an adjacency rather than the core competency, um, life healthcare. But um, given the track record of management, I, I would give them I, I would give them the vote of confidence in making that acquisition work. Um, I, I, this the, it's the multiple for me. It, it just seems very expensive. Um, for a business that um, you know, it, it may have some cyclicality in there as well, but it's, it's fundamentally a, a distribution business. It, it, I don't think it ought to attract the multiples that it does, but certainly put this um, on your watch list. Very yeah. high quality, better than you might think, um, and I would certainly buy it at a more attractive price. Okay, hold. Um, agree with all that. Um, it's New Zealand business and listed, which is why we don't get much liquidity here, and it sort of flies under the radar. Mm. Um, you know, they had their report out with the the chart showing the it's just it's just bottom left to top right on every single metric, and, and um, so so steady as well. Gorav's right. Maybe there's some hidden cyclicality there, but you don't see it in the history of the business. Um, not yet. Mm. But but to be fair, we probably haven't been through a real traumatic turmoil for for mm. you know ten odd years. Um, the, the multiple's the big one, you know, about 28 times earnings, even forward comes out about 25 based on the guidance they gave. I, I think if you paid that today, you know, you just you couldn't expect multiple expansion to drive your returns. So and if you were happy with high single digit, low double digit, which is what I think they'll give you in sort of EPS growth, that, you know, you can probably do okay from this price. But I, I tend to agree with Gaurav, if you want that bit of extra margin of safety, you probably want to pay, you know, maybe 20, 22 times earnings or something like this. Um, so put it on your put it on your watch list. It's it's um, very liquid too. I mean, despite the size, no, six billion or whatever it is, it's very mm. liquid on the ASX. Um, so liquidity alone, you could see swings where you know you might get down to that valuation for a week or two before the market catches on. Mm. Uh, but yeah, definitely hold if you're there. Liquidity main reason why you've already if you've worked hard to get a position, don't throw it away. Okay, all right. Moving on to service stream. Helen mentioned about this. Let's uh, uh, get their view on the release of their full year results. Uh, in fact, or uh, well, the share price, the market did not like it. Uh, full year there, uh, des- described it as challenging but transformational. Uh, due to his acquisition of That's a dangerous word, Andrew. Luke, <laughs> <laughs> uh, like, how did you see it? Um, well, Gaurav and I were talking before the show, and yeah. I, I said that when they made that Lend-Lease acquisition at the time, I was not a fan of it at all. Um, to me, uh, this business had won a lot of work with the rollout of the NBN. That was due to start to slow down and come to an end. There was going to be a big earnings hole, and I thought management were, tr- were rushing to, to try and fill that earnings hole mm-hmm. and paid a lot of money for an acquisition that... You know, yes, there should be a lot of synergies there, but when you pay seven times EBITDA for a business that does 6% EBITDA margins, it doesn't take a lot to go wrong for things to, you know, start to get pretty ugly pretty quick. 
Now, it looks cheap, you know, 16 times NPAD A. I, I think if you, if you looked at a, at a historical multiple, it's probably around fair price for a business like this. Um, but for me, I think it doesn't take into account the balance sheet's now more leveraged than what it's been for quite a long time. Um, you're coming into a period of elevated um, prices and things like that because of labour shortages and, and just disruptions in general. Um, I, I need a, a much, much larger margin of safety before I'd even look at this business. And, and you know, you would think that with that share price it would be insanely cheap, but to me it's it's not. Um, I think you're factoring in either a large turnaround in the fundamental operations, which I don't like to do, um, or you know that the, the multiple is a fair price today, which mm. I don't think it is. So I would actually sell this. Um, I think it's going to be a tough time to own any of these sort of fixed price contractors. They yep. even in this result, you know, they took a hit on a Queensland project because of the extreme weather. Five five million dollar onerous contract. Mm. Um, that's something. Yeah, I, I can see more of them flowing through. You know, you, you quote a fixed price contract, and six twelve months later, labour shortages, material shortages, whatever it may be, all of a sudden your six percent EBITDA margins are two three percent, and that's a yeah, it's fifty percent lower profits. Okay, this is self you, Gorat. Yeah, look, I have very similar notes as well that mm. <clears throat> this is a business that did very well with the NBN rolling out. But as Luke says, there was a end to that project. And it's one of the greatest danger signs is when management tries to fill an earnings hole. And these guys have made two acquisitions now. One was the Lendlease business. They, that was probably the worst of them. They, I think they also made a better acquisition um, buying an infrastructure maintenance business, which has been okay for them. Actually, hasn't hasn't been a, a bother. But but the dynamic of, of um, anticipating an earnings decline and then buying something to fill that decline. It's really uh, the wrong way to build a business. You're trying to build a set of financials that way, whereas I think businesses should be about solving problems for, for customers, and they're really not doing any of that. They're, they're trying to build um, a set of numbers to, to make their shareholders happy, and I'm just not comfortable buying a business um, going about its objectives that way. In my experience, it never ends in success. So while I acknowledge the numbers here look cheap, um, the multiples look cheap, the historical, uh, if you if you apply historical margins onto the revenue base, you still it looks cheaper still. Um, I still think this is a big fat avoid um, for the strategy reason, mm. uh, and um, this is just not the climate for fixed price contractors with huge um, labour force, with a huge labour force. And I think there's so much that can go wrong here. Adding debt at this point of the cycle is a really risky move. Um, so yeah, yeah, this remains a sell for me. You want you want businesses with with large margins. I mean, large margins mm. generally implies they've got some some moats or IPs there, but also in this environment, you know, if you've got a 40% um, gross margin or something like that, you can take a small hit to your, to your pricing and still come away okay. If your gross margin's 9 10% like these guys, it doesn't take a lot to go wrong for things to get very ugly very quick. Especially when costs are escalating as well and those margins are well, under they're threat. escalating at that sort of, you yeah. know, 9 10%. Well, that's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, guys, we've got to lift the pace as we get to the end of the show. Uh, next one, Sam Ingwantin about Globe International Producers Distributes clothing, footwear, and also skateboard, skateboard, hardware around the globe. Um, Gorev. Yeah, it's a, it's a business I own and have owned for years. Um, I, I you really strike me as a skateboarder. Yeah. <laughs> well, the the largest segment of this business actually is uh, is hidden. This is a company that is, is started by two founders who, by their own admission, just did not want a proper job and went off and did something 
um, that they love doing, which is um, they're both um, skateboarders mm. um, and surfers actually, but, but predominantly skateboarders. Um, the two brothers are both skateboarders and they went off and built a business based around their passions. They're steeped in their community. They understand their customer. Everyone who works there is is a passionate boardie or, or, a, or a surfie as well. Um, but what I really like about it, what it's gotten really good at is, is just building brands. It's, got, it's become a better marketing business. It started off as a distribution business and a an owner of, of one brand but since then it's built a whole it's built a whole host of brands and it's gotten really good at marketing them to specific niches and getting them running um, the the biggest brand they've built is fxd which is a workwear brand um, which i think alone would be a 70 80 percent of that market cap it is phenomenally successful they don't break out their their segments so you, you can't see how profitable that business is um, but just from back solving, um, I, I reckon they're making a, a, a mint out of it. They're now very slowly um, expanding that into the US and the early signs are reasonably good. Well capitalized, well managed, fantastic cash flow. Mm -hmm. And as I said, you've got FXD expanding in the US and you've got um, a, a potent to, uh, um, to increase brands and it's great optionality. I wouldn't buy it because they know how to build brands, but building brands gives you that little bit of icing um, where it could, could one of the brands could blow up, which uh, one of them did um, a, a year or two ago. Um, so that, that could happen again. But while you're waiting for that to happen, you've got this really nice solid cash flow machine that pays dividends and is well managed. So I'm happy to, to hold it. I would say there's a, there's a bit of cyclical weakness coming up. This is a highly discretionary mm -hmm. um, business. Mm -hmm. The consumer, uh, despite what the numbers say and despite what we've seen over the last few weeks, I still think the consumer both here in the US will be under pressure. So I'd be, um, I'd be wary of buying it now, but for a long-term investor, you can still hold this and be very comfortable doing so. Luke? Yeah, I agree with that. You, you hold it if you've got a position. Again, it's like EBOS, it's a liquid. So if you've worked Very hard, liquid, yes. Yeah, if you've worked we hard to get a position. Share prices. <laughs> it's flat, isn't it? Flatlined. Um, if you've worked hard to get a position, hold it. Um, extremely well run. Um, Gorab's covered it well, so I won't go into it again. Um, if you're on the sidelines, though, mm. just just wait. I mean, they'll report in the next couple of days, yeah. as Gorab says. Just just wait for that report. See what the, the, the tone of management is as, uh, for that outlook. Um, like most retailers, they're dealing with all the same problems. You know, inventory management is you've got supply chain issues mm. and variable demand, um, higher input costs and shipping costs. Um, the, the one thing I would say is, is there was a real step change in FY21 earnings. You know, don't don't look at those earnings as the sustainable base That's moving right. forward. That right? was one of their fad brands taking off. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, you know, I, I think it, it'll be higher than where it's been in the past, but earnings will normalise. You got it. Yeah. Um, I don't think you're paying a huge price at today's mm. valuation. So definitely hold and, and, and wait for that next result, which should be you know, next few days. All right. Moving on to Frontier Digital Ventures. Zoe, want to know about this? It is the provider of real-time news, video, interviews on those companies and the like. Um, Luke, their operating revenue forty-two uh, percent. Um, yeah, break-even uh, EBITDA there compared mm. to a negative three million. It was up. I didn't have that last figure there, but what did you make of the result? Um, it looked okay. I mean, they reported yesterday. My main takeaway is I think this is a business, you probably just ignore the short-term results, mm. um, particularly whether it's a hit or a miss against analyst numbers. It's, it's, it's largely irrelevant. I mean, you own this business for the platforms they're building. Um, you know, for those who don't know, it's, it's sort of property and car portals in, in emerging companies. So it's the real estate car sales of 
Pakistan, Latin America, and all sorts of wonderful exotic geographies. Just what you always wanted, a Pakistani real estate board. Well, <laughs> you, I know, we joke, but you look at the, you look at the mm. operating metrics of Zameen and you sort of do want it. Mm. Um, it's a shame they own more than 30%. Um, so yeah, you own the business for the value that they're, they're building in these platforms. They won't show up in financial accounts for, for you know, years. Yeah. Um, so you track the operating metrics. They all look pretty solid. I was happy with that. Um, you know, we'll just, yeah, as we're just joking about, Zameen, as it's known, is a Pakistani property portal which dominates not only Frontier Digital but but also the its market. Um, it is probably you know ninety five percent of the value of Frontier Digital right now. Maybe some of the other portals will catch up to Zamin soon, but as it stands, it is just going from strength to strength. Um, they only own thirty percent. It's the only you know you, you wish that they they had that as a majority. Um, but otherwise, I, I think this is a hold. Like I said, you don't own that. For, you don't own this business for the results, Andrew. Um, it's certainly for what's being built. It's ex ex REA management. It's guys you trust to you know build a business for the longer term and and, and harvest the value later on. Yep. Okay. Go it. Yeah. It's it's been a buy for us for years. Um, I think um, down near fifty cents. I want to say was when we first picked it up. Uh, it's been in our portfolio for years. It's been a good performer until about a year ago where it just crashed. Um, and it, it's because it, the it's it's a complex business to own and to understand because it, it's actually a collection of lots of different um, businesses at different stakes, mm-hmm. um, and so some stakes they actually um, incorporate the entire result into their onto their own books. They consolidate it, and others they have proportional earnings coming through. It's, it, it's one a, of the few businesses where the result presentation is more helpful than the actual audited numbers because the audit uh, the audited numbers are useless. Messy. Just this yeah. completely useless. But they're quite yeah. good at giving the read through valuations right. and, and metrics. Well, as, as you say, it's, it's founded and run by um, Sean De Gregorio. I think I got that name right. Yeah. Um, he's ex-REA, um, set up iProperty and sold it uh, back to REA. Um, so they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, that's the mean business. I mean, we, we joke about it a lot because, um, you know, in, in our portfolios, we don't often, you know, we, we say as a joke that you're exposed to Pakistani property prices, which, which you know, is, is a great opener but yeah. <laughs> and sounds scary. But that's a, that's a property-mad um, country with a huge expat population. And that portal is further ahead in terms of tech than REA is. REA is a listings portal but where Zameen is going and, and where they're taking the other portals is as a transactions mm. um, portal as well so not only can you can you find um, you know, find property and, and you know they might charge sort of a thousand bucks per listing or something mm. but you can actually transact and take two or three percent of the entire transaction value so that's where it's headed and it's actually leapfrog the the legacy guys this is has a huge potential but in the short term in this kind of environment might struggle this is perfect for a patient investor I, would, I reckon it's still a buy, yep. um, but uh, you have to be patient with it, and um, and then don't be scared by the reported numbers because, as as we discussed, they mm. are a bit of a mess. Yeah, I'll okay. um, I'll say buy as well, Andrew. Actually. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I convinced you, talked you into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Mm. All right, let's round it out with Aluka. Uh, this is in rare earths. Uh, Charlie wanted to know about this. Uh, the market loved the results. Uh, it uh, it's NPAT there up 185% and uh, it's EBITDA 70% interim dividend up over 100%. What's not to like, Luke? Um, I'll be quick. Gaurav will, will know this a little bit better than me. Um, look, seems like that rare earth space they're in, um, you know, they're getting good prices, a bit of demand there, production was solid. Um, balance sheet, you know, pay down their debt, doing all the, all the things you like to see. Um, my one comment was, you know, they'll probably look to do some M and A, and I just hope they don't overpay in the current environment. Mm-hmm. Um, but otherwise, yeah, uh, I 
or a decent business, but just for me, too big in the, the commodity space where I don't really play. So I'd hold it if you're there. Holding for sure. it, yeah. yeah. Okay, Definitely. Gaurav, over to you. Yeah, this is interesting. So this is this was a basket case for a long time. Iluca is the world's largest mineral sands maker, and, and mineral sands is a complex mixture of, of of different things you need for ceramics and for creating white pigment. Um, and it's, it hasn't been a great, you know, you'd, you'd think a, a commodity producer who has sort of a quarter of the world's annual production in, in a particular commodity might make decent returns. <laughs> the history of this business is no, it has not, until recently. And the big changes come from, um, I, I would say, better focus management and also just exiting crappy mines. Yeah. So just spun off a really awful business. Um, they've exited um, loss-making um, mines and they're now focused on a handful of operations that are actually um, booming at the moment. Now this is this is a highly cyclical industry so I wouldn't extrapolate the results here but the hidden source of value is um, is the rare earth. So for years they've they've just collected a lot of waste from their operations and and it turns out that that waste is actually quite rich in, in rare earth um, elements and they've got a one billion dollar grant from the government to go ahead and build a processing plan not because their uh, mineable waste is so rich, but because it is so hard to capture rare earth um, in country. They don't want to rely on particularly China. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's become a strategic element. I think there's a lot of value in that. They've got really cheap loans to do that. I think it's, it's, a, it's a goer. And management is sensible and focused on delivering that project. I actually think this might be a buy still. Um, it's gone up a long way, but I don't think the the value of that little, little rare earth gem is, is yet evident, and I think it's going to be quite important. You look at where um, Linus is and look where this might be, there's a huge value differential there. Probably speaks to how Linus is probably a bit overvalued, mm -hmm. but also speaks to how this might be a little bit mispriced. So I'm going to go buy still. Yep, okay. <clears throat> All right, good one. We finished on a positive. Let's sum up where we've been then. Uh, beginning there with EBOS, uh, both holding and waiting, uh, perhaps for uh, greater potential there. <clears throat> Service stream on the flip side there, a sell from Malukan Avoid there from Gorev. Globe International, uh, Gorev owns it, uh, he's holding it. Uh, Luke also a hold, waiting uh, for more. There, Frontier <coughs> Digital Ventures, a buy from both. Uh, Gorev convinced Luke to buy it, there you go. <laughs> and Luca in the mm. rarest space there, a hold from Luke and a buy from Gorev. Gorev, thanks for joining us from Intelligent Investing. Thanks, Andrew. And Luke from Meriwether Capital, great to see you. All right, and any stocks you'd like us to cover, of course, you can email us at the call at ausbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at ausbiz.tv. And a reminder, you can find those in the course portfolio. You can head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Stay with us. Small Caps is coming up next, and we're going to be hearing from Larry Diamond from Zip. Stay with us.